Um, obviously, the decorations look great. Um, I told them they could leave them up for Sunday so people could see it. So if you were going to help on Friday, tear them down. Um, not necessary, but Sunday, I do have my limits. Sunday after third service, we're going to take them down. So if uh, you think of it and you're around Sunday, third service, um, stick around afterwards and can help take all this stuff down. If we have a few people, it won't take that long to do it. Before we go to the Word, um, let's just pray for the family of the little girl in Huntington Beach who was killed in the Junior Lifeguard Program um, today. So let's look to the Lord. Lord, we, we can't even imagine what, it's be lo- what it would be like send your healthy little girl off to Junior Lifeguards and, and to have her, have her die. And Lord, in ways that we could never understand, we know that you are able to bring comfort and strength and, and peace into a situation like that. And so, Lord, for this girl's family and for her friends, for the other kids in the Junior Guards program as well, Lord, please just provide supernaturally a peace that passes understanding. I pray that this will be a time that opens up a lot of doors for people to hear about a God who loves them. Um, So please, Lord, really help with with this family and with her friends and everyone else affected. And Lord, the guy who was um, driving the boat that that hit her, um, he's a guy who's dedicated his whole life to saving lives and to training kids and we know he must just be feeling awful, and I pray that he would meet you in a time like this, that he would find you to be faithful and a very present help. So please send comfort to him and for everyone who needs it in this situation, Lord. And we, we just turn it all over to you. We know that you love all the people involved, so God, please just, just help. And now, Lord, as we look to your word, would you please speak to us things that we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 13, we got going on it last week. And to be honest with you, I can't remember where I let off. But, I mean, I think we covered the gist of the idea of being in submission to government authorities, to rulers. And Paul's whole point isn't that they are right, or that they are somebody in and of themselves that are worthy of, of our respect. But it's the idea, Paul's concern was that we would be able to get along and live the lives that God wants us to have. So in a very practical sense, what he was saying is, hey, for whatever reason, God has allowed these people to be in positions of influence and authority. And don't just be bucking that. Do what you need to do to stay at peace. Earlier in the previous chapter where he said, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. And this is just a continuation of that logic. Hey, don't be some kind of person who's always standing up and protesting against whatever it is the government's doing. You you can fight City Hall if God has called you to that, but for the most part, you really have more important things to do than that. 
you really want to invest large pieces of your life in fighting against somebody who has the deck stacked in their favor anyway. And so really it's just simple advice to just say, don't make waves with the government. Basically understand they're looking for troublemakers. So let other people be the troublemakers. You don't have to worry about them 99 times out of 100. If you're just doing what you're supposed to do, you don't even have to worry about them. Though they may be corrupt, as was the case in the Roman government in those days, still, they've got their hands full with people who are causing trouble. And I mean, I think it's really true today. The chances of you being a horrible victim of the system, if you just keep your head down and stay busy with what you're doing and don't make waves, generally they're not going to even get around to hassling you. So often it's the people who really want to call attention to themselves who end up getting that attention. And some of these tax protesters and people who just are on some kind of a crusade. And again, if God has called you to that crusade, fine. You do what God's called you to do. But I know for me, and really, frankly, for most of us, God has called us to much higher callings than to be messing with people who are in positions of authority and trying to you know, expose them or bring them down or whatever. The truth is, I mean, the truth is ugly, frankly. An awful lot of the authority in this country and in this world is controlled by bad people. And if you just start reading about it too much, it'll make you sick. When you realize it doesn't matter who we elect, it doesn't matter who's in power, it's the same handful of people who are pulling the strings and manipulating the whole system. But at their worst, they certainly aren't, aren't worse than Nero. And Paul's going in the time of Nero and saying, it's just not worth it. Just don't be even going down that trail. Stay out of their way, basically. And so be subject to them, the idea of lining yourself up and being wise in how you have to deal with them. And uh, so, therefore, verse 5, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. If you sit there and fight, you know, there was that old song, I fought the law and the law won. You, fought, you fight the law, the law usually wins. And it'll wear you out. It's like lawsuits. I know some people that are always involved in lawsuits. And, and, they're, and they usually are pretty convincing that they are right, and yet they still waste their whole life filling out depositions and paying attorneys. And, you know, it's like sometimes it's just not worth it. And I'm more old school where when you step in a hole and break your ankle, well, you're a klutz. You go, boy, I shouldn't do that again. It doesn't have to be somebody else's fault. It doesn't always have to be, you know, who do I sue? And the whole thing is you sleep a lot better at night if you're not always in fights with people. So rather than even being worried about the wrath, but even just for your own conscience' sake, get past it, get over it, deal with it, and, and move on. I, I saw a cute thing Ann and I were watching this week. There was a little girl who was auditioning on uh, 
that show with, um, it's like a talent show, I forget what it's called, but they have America's Got Talent. Yeah, this little eight-year-old girl, she was so cute and played the piano and sang, and she's just bubbling with personality, just a, just so cute. But after she performed, the first of the judges, which was Sharon Osborne, Ozzy Osborne's wife, now, how the, somebody decided that somebody who married Ozzy Osbourne ought to be a judge of talent. But, you know, at any rate, she voted no. But then the Baywatch lifeguard guy and, and the weird English guy both voted yes, and she won. But watching this girl, eight years old, and when the first vote was no, she just smiled, and she goes, that's okay. And when she came off stage, she went to her parents, and she goes, Daddy... When Sharon voted no, I dealed with it. <laughs> she goes, somebody had to vote no, it's okay, I dealed with it. And I think, you know, if an eight-year-old gets that, um, the rest of us could deal with it sometimes, you know? Just like, things happen, deal with it. Don't escalate everything. Don't always be pushing the envelope. You have way more important things to do. Uh, my friend... Odin Fong used to always tell me, we've got a race to run. And it's true. We have more important things to do in life than to get all distracted with all sorts of other things. We've got a race to run. Stay in the race. Don't let distractions pull you away from what God has ultimately called you to do. I've been very um, open about the fact that I just, I would never vote for someone who's a minister who decides to run for office. Because I think if you think that being president of the United States is a higher calling than preaching the gospel, man, where did you go wrong? And as much respect as I have for some public figures who you know, are trying to make inroads in the, into societal problems and everything, I mean, hey, speaking out for justice and speaking out against, you know, for healing AIDS and feeding Africa and all that stuff, that's all cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that there are people who do that. But I, you know, as I was watching a, guy, a pastor who I greatly respect this week, speaking to a group of Muslims for over an hour and he never shared the gospel, I thought, I know what Jesus would do if he got up in front of that many Muslims. And it wouldn't be to lecture them on manners. It would be to go, you guys can get saved. Jesus died for you. And yeah, you know, I don't get invited to speak in front of Muslims. And so, you know, I don't want to sit in judgment on other people. But the point is, do what's important. Don't get distracted and sidetracked into things that are of less importance. The good is always the enemy of the best. And usually you don't leave doing something really important to do something that's completely unimportant. But often you'll be distracted from things that are incredibly important to do things that are just kind of important. And they might seem important. Um, keep your priorities straight. And an awful lot of that is just Stay out of trouble. Things happen, deal with it, move past. Paul wasn't concerned about Nero bringing him down. Wasn't even concerned about a lot of things that we would have been crusading against that existed in their society at that time. But he knew he only had a limited time 
to minister. And so he just said, all I do is preach Christ and him crucified. Everything I do is connected to that calling. And I admire that in anyone who knows what their calling is and they do what they're called to do. And often people will get tied up with the government or tied up in the court system and the idea is you don't need that. Because of this, verse 6, you pay taxes. They're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Their thing is taxes. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. Pay your taxes. It's way easier to just pay your taxes than it is to spend tons of time trying to figure out how to not pay your taxes and then end up in jail over it. Just pay it and deal with it and move on. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Just recognize that certain people are in certain positions. Throw them a bone. Do what you need to do for them. You're, I, oh, I understand that you know, a part of your tax dollars are going to pay at some point, you know, that if you pay enough taxes, you're probably paying a nickel that's going to go towards abortions or whatever. Well, a part of their taxes that Jesus himself paid went to Nero, who used his taxes to kill Christians and burned them, using them as torches at his parties. But he didn't get consumed with it. He's like, you know what, that's his problem. Here's the taxes. I believe that what the government does with our money, the government leaders will be judged for it. But it's not going to be, God's never going to say, why did you put your money into that system? Remember how Jesus, you know, um, called out, called everyone's attention to the widow who's, who had her two mites and she put it in the offering at the temple. Now, at that time, the temple system was totally corrupt, dominated by people who didn't care at all about God. And yet, Jesus talked about this woman and her faith, and it's like, God's going to reward her for giving it. I'm not that, you know, I know some people give money to ministries that I think are a ripoff or that I wouldn't personally give to, but it's the heart that matters. It's... You know, it's between you and God. If you go, hey, God, I'm giving this as unto you, I don't care who you give it to, um, God sees your heart and rewards it. And it's the same thing with taxes and customs and all that kind of stuff. Give it away, move on, don't worry about it. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Um. It's, this is still connected to the other, what he's just been saying, but he shifts gears a little bit. The idea is don't be indebted to others. And that's why in the context, obviously he's saying, pay your taxes. Don't make them come after you to get it. But as a general principle too, you'd rather you know, have people owe you than for you to owe others. There's a, there's a burden that comes from being in debt that it's just not healthy. It's just not right. And so he says, you know what? 
you should you owe to everyone love and forgiveness on the basis of what God has done for you. So that's your debt. But don't take on a bunch of other debt. Now, there are people who take this um, verse to an extreme, and they would say that it's always a sin to borrow money for anything, for a car, for a house, for, you know, that you should pay cash for everything. Well, that's really not what he's teaching. And so I, I think be careful by being that extreme. If you're able to pay cash for everything, that's great. I mean, that's certainly preferable. But basically, if, if you borrow money, you ought to be able to pay it back. That's, that's the bottom line. Don't ever get yourself in a situation whereby you might not be able to. That's where then it becomes a burden. If, if, you're, if you don't have trouble making your payments, then there's nothing wrong with, especially when interest rates are low and it's, there are opportunities that are out there. I mean, how many people would even own a house if you had to pay cash for it? Not, not very many. Um, so on the other hand, you got to think, you, you know, you should be thinking that everything that I owe, it does, you know, it does weigh on me. The more my payments are that I have to pay, the more I have to consider that when I make decisions. If God calls me all of a sudden to give money to somebody or to contribute more than I normally do to a ministry, or if he calls me to go on a missions trip or to, to go to the mission field. And I'm, I'm looking at these bills that I have to pay and just going, I can't do it. God, I don't care. You're telling me to do it. I can't do it. And it's a sad thing. And I know a whole lot of people who, because of their indebtedness, they feel called to certain things for years, never have an opportunity to even try it. So... There's definitely something to be said for um, being cautious about, you know, getting yourself into debt. Um, but he's not primarily talking economics here. He's talking pragmatics, and he's just going, the less burden that you carry, the better off you are. Don't get yourself. And, and this doesn't just go for finances either. Don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. Now, think about this another way. How much do you do for people because you feel like you have to? Maybe because they've done something for you and now you feel like you owe them. Maybe there are some people who are just really good at manipulating you and, and you've done a ton of things for them and therefore, on the basis of what you've done for them before, they expect you to do more for them. And you know, some people are really good at just making you feel like you have to do certain things. I mean, I, I, it comes with the mother gene, I think. But it, there are all kinds of people who can do it. It's just like this manipulative sort of thing. And, and you know, Jesus died to set us free. And God wants us to be free. And he doesn't want us to do anything that puts us in a position where we're carrying baggage that we don't need to carry. I owe you love, but I don't owe you anything else. Now, if you loaned me money, I need to pay you back that money. And I would want to, if I borrowed money, I'd want to pay it back as soon as I could if I needed to do that. 
But you know what? I also don't, you know, because, you know, you say something to me, I don't need to say something to you necessarily. Or because you do something as unto the Lord, I don't need to get up here and read the names of everybody who hung a planet from the ceiling or something. It's like, you know, or give you a special hat for it or something. It's not, whatever you do, you're to do it as unto the Lord. If you're doing things in order to get people to somehow pay you back or compensate you or make it worth your while, you're doing it with the wrong motive and you're probably not going to be rewarded at all. In, in Proverbs, it talks about if you co-sign for somebody in a loan, go to them and beg them to let you out of it. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of that obligation. It, it, and it's... You know, if you tell somebody you'll do something and then you realize, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have time to do it. I don't know if I can afford to do it. I don't know if I really even want to do it. It's a, it's a terrible feeling. I do this when, if somebody asks me to speak somewhere and it's like nine months down the road, yeah, I look at my calendar, it's totally open. No problem, of course I will. Honestly, Usually don't pray about it, don't consider whether I really want to do it. And then all of a sudden, nine months down the road, I'm looking at my week schedule and it's like, I'm totally, I have so much I've committed to. And so, and it's funny, sometimes somebody will call and have to cancel an appointment with me and they're like really sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, sorry, are you kidding me? This is the greatest gift ever. <laughs> You know, you let me a little piece of me off the hook. And, you know, there's a lesson there. Kevin Sodderfield, when he used to be real, pretty sick, he, Kevin's one guy here who always has told me to take time off and to rest. And, you know, he's just been a great uh, reminder of that to me. But he used to say, hey, when you're out walking on the beach... You're out spending time with the Lord. If somebody calls you, tell them you're with Kevin. <laughs> and so I used, to, I used to say that. Hey, Kevin, I spent some time with you this week. And he'd go, all right. And, you know, it feels so good to not be obligated. And, and yet somehow we feel, we let people make us feel like we owe, you know, we owe something. And that's not the basis of healthy relationships. It, it should never be that way. As soon as you're doing something because you feel like you have to, then you don't get to anymore. It's not even fulfilling. It's like, okay, it's our anniversary, so I have to come up with a present and a card and a nice dinner. Well, come on, of course, you have to do it. It's your anniversary. Now, when you're younger, people go, oh, it's our one-month anniversary from when, you know, you dented your fender. Oh, yeah. So, does that really, honestly, when somebody, like, and, and I appreciate, I just had my birthday, and, and I appreciate people were so kind and, and, you know, gave me gifts and things like that. I got a cake at second service, and, I, and it's all really cool, but, you know, again, you kind of, certain people feel like they had to, you know, it's Dave's birthday, I better do something, I better tell him happy birthday. You know, Not everybody is really thinking, 
Dave, I really want you to have a great birthday. It's just like, oh yeah, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. They made it obvious. Eddie sang to you and everything. And, and so at, at some point it even becomes like, wow, you know, if somebody came up and really appreciates what you do and it's not like Pastor Appreciation Day or your birthday or whatever, doesn't it mean more? I mean, whenever someone does something special to you that's unexpected, it means a lot more. But because we get these, you know, traditions, and so many times they're promoted by the greeting card companies and by merchants, that all of a sudden it's just something that you have to do. And if somebody sends you a Christmas card... You're supposed to send them a Christmas card. If you don't, you're a jerk. You may not get theirs next year, and you're like, oh, shoot. What, did I forget? Did I? How do we get so messed up and so many burdens? And we look at our week and go, there's so many places I feel obligated to be. I don't ever want to put that expectation on anyone. I don't ever want anybody to feel like, Oh man, if I miss a couple of Wednesday nights, Dave's gonna think something I'm bugged at him, or you know, I want to make sure that he sees me here so he knows that I'm. Oh no way! I mean, anytime I'm telling you, I tell people this all the time. If there, if you haven't had a chance to spend some alone time with God, ditch church and go spend time with God. Don't ditch church and just watch TV. You know, you should feel guilty if you do that. But I mean, if there's you don't have to be at church every week. You know, you don't have to, you know, somehow, you know, God's going to notice and be displeased with you. And don't get me wrong, coming to church is a great habit to make. And there are some people who are always here, and, and, I, and I appreciate that kind of faithfulness. But I don't want anybody doing anything because they feel like they have to or they need to or they should. It takes the joy out of life, really. And so... Get rid of your debts. Whether it's your debt to people who have manipulated you, whether it's money that you owe, whether it's an overcommitted schedule, whether it's whatever it is that's making you feel like, I've got bills I have to pay, I've got things I have to do, I have people I need to see. That's not the way to live your life. That's not the way God want you to live your life. Just love people. And so often, we, we do all these things for people, and it's not out of love. And any day, I would rather have, you know, somebody give me a genuine expression of appreciation than for somebody to think up a really creative gift or, you know, something like that. You just, and for, I think we're all that way. Um, really, you get to a certain point and kind of most gifts are just things that if you really wanted it, you could have got it yourself. And, and I'm not trying to throw a blanket over the whole gift-giving thing because, I mean, there are people who give me gifts and it really means a lot because I know it comes from a heart of love. And there are gifts that I give and cards that I send and things that I say that it's coming from my heart and I really, really want people to know that. But... When you do that, it's not a burden, and that's how you can tell. It's not like, oh boy, here we go, all right, here's your, here's your present. You know, it's not that way. 
you get to, you want to. You're, you're expressing something that's really from your heart and that's, that's genuine. And I, just, I think that we shouldn't let anyone have a piece of us, you know, to where somebody else gets control of me and therefore there are certain obligations that I just have to do and takes the joy out of it all, you know? And, and so, again, Paul's saying, don't owe anyone anything. Keep, keep a light touch on things and let people keep a light touch on you, except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The Jews made the law such a burden. Jesus had pointed out to them, it's really simple. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what it's all about. Now, is, is there anybody who doesn't want to do that? But So now Paul is picking up on that and going, the entire burden of the law just comes down to loving people, and you owe them that because God has loved you. So can't you just treat people decent? Hey, there are people that you buy them stuff, but you treat them lousy. And you think, why am I even doing this? Forget, like Daniel said to Belshazzar, keep your gifts to yourself. <laughs> you know, that's not what it's about. It's the heart. It's about the reality of relationship. And so he gives an example of really the second half of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. And if there's any other commandment, he acts like he doesn't remember the other ones, are all summed up in one saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. To love each other, that's our job. That's really what we need to do. And we need to unload everything that doesn't look like that so that we can focus on our full-time job, which is loving other people and treating them the way we would want to be treated. And so often we can get so busy that we don't have time to express love. And he would say, no, this is all that matters. This is what the law is about. And if you're just a really good person, following all the rules, never getting out of line, never, do, you know, you're just, people admire how good you are, but they don't know that you love them, there's no point. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. You can give your body to be burned. You can give everything to the poor. You can, you can speak with tongues of men and angels. But if it's without love, it's just a clanging symbol. It's just an empty sound. And it's so important. I used to just constantly tell the teachers at Calvary when I was there, if those kids don't know you love them, then nothing else that you teach them even matters. You know, you can foster this tough exterior and you can make people jump through hoops and you can train them but if they aren't sure that you love them what difference does it make now 
love isn't all that matters, but love matters more than everything else. Of course, there's all kinds of things that you do as an expression of love. And I wasn't saying to teachers, you don't need to teach them English and history and math and science and all those things. You just need to love them. Because they wouldn't see the love after a while if you weren't teaching them. And you wouldn't be loving because you're, you want to prepare them for the future. But I've seen people just knocking themselves out to try to be good. And almost like they're giving their body to be burned out. And yet it takes the edge away where now it's like people can't see the love. It's no point. There's, you won't accomplish anything unless people can look at you like they look at God and say, God is love. Unless they look at me and go, Dave is love. I don't, you know, if people think that I'm stupid or if people think that I, I'm naive or people think that I am misguided or people, you know, <laughs> I heard somebody the other day say they heard that I had gone emergent. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I could get that from the decorations, but <laughs> it's like, I don't care. I don't care what people, I'm about as unemergent as anybody I know, but, but if I hear that people think that I don't care about people, that hurts me deeply. They can think anything else about me, and they can be right or they can be wrong, but I just want people to know I really, I really do care. Because that's the priorities that the Lord has. That's the important thing. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can give people a lot of great information, but they can't see that we're coming from love. And I find myself doing this sometimes, counseling people. What they need to do is so obvious that I feel like grabbing them by the throat and just telling them to do it. And then God just reminds me, that, you know, yeah, you've got all the answers, but... Do they know that you love them? And that's our basic job in life. If you're a parent, your, your parenting will come down to, do your kids know that you love them? Now, that's not all you do. Oh, I love you, I love you. The way you do everything that you do as a parent and leading and guiding and teaching and all that, all that is an expression of love. But if somehow the love gets knocked out of the way. In, as a parent, as an employee, if people don't know that you care about them as a boss or as somebody who works for someone else, as a volunteer, if you're doing stuff around church but, but people think that you don't like them, wasting your time. It's, it's about love. And that's what Paul's saying. I mean, this is, this is what you owe. Pay this back. Jesus showed his love by dying for you. It doesn't get more extreme than that. And then he says, if you love me, then feed my sheep. That's what he said to Peter. Take care of them. Show that love that you have for me, show it to them. They need to see my love. And so it sums up the law. It's what the entire Old Testament is about. You could memorize the whole Old Testament, but before you do that, just be loving, and you'll have the gist of it. In summary, 
That's, that's what he's saying here. And, and he says, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let's cast off the works of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. His appeal here is, we don't have a lot of time. Our time is limited. You don't know how much time you have. You know, the, the parents who sent their little girl off to junior guards, they had no idea. Her friends had no idea, didn't, didn't understand. None of us are really living with an awareness that our time is so limited. I think that people who, as we get older, we begin to appreciate this more. You know, because we realize, man, an awful lot of time has gone by. A few nights back, our next door neighbor, they have one little girl, and she's really loud, squeals and things like that. And, and it was one of those nights when we went to bed early, and it was warm, so we had our windows open. And they had a little pool party late in a prior sleepover, and there were a bunch of little girls next door going down the slide and throwing balls and squealing and laughing and giggling. And later they came and apologized to me. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. I, got, I said, you know what? My wife and I, Ann and I, laid in bed and we were just going, is there a more beautiful sound in the world than little kids squealing and giggling and enjoying themselves? And I shared that with them. And I go, you know, our kids are, they don't do a lot of squealing and giggling anymore, you know? And it just happened so fast. You've got to treasure that while the time is there. And I think, you know, that's the perspective. And Paul lived his life with the expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. And I don't think he was ever disappointed that he didn't see the rapture because every extra day that he spent alive, more people met Jesus. Back in the 70s, and I was a new Christian, and everything, I, I didn't think there's any way that the rapture wouldn't come by, you know, the early 80s for sure. We did the math, you know, Israel became a nation, a generation, 40 years, subtract seven years for the tribulation, 1981, he ought to come. But, you know, and there was a moment of like, yeah, I'm bummed that he didn't come. But I know so many people who have found Jesus since 1981 that I'm, I'm glad he didn't. But at the same time, I always want to live with an awareness. I don't ever want to get to the point where I act like, yeah, you know, we have all kinds of time. It's no hurry. It's no rush. I want to use every opportunity that I have to care about people and to reach out to them, to have time for them and to, to share with them what, what God has taught me and to, and to treasure every day, to, to take every opportunity to enjoy the freedom that we have. I don't know how long we'll have some of the freedom that we have. And so, you know, Simple things, you know, sometimes you think about, I haven't shot a gun in a long time. But 
hey, the day may come when you can't shoot a gun. So it might be good to go out in the desert and plink a few cans or something. I, I don't, you know, there are things that, you know, there are people who, who have physical capabilities to go shoot baskets on a basketball court, and then all of a sudden something happens to them, and now they can't. And they never really, they liked basketball, but they never really took the time to do it. And then all of a sudden they get to the point, and trust me, you'll get there, when it just hurts too much, and you just don't do it. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. Realize time is limited. And if time is limited, then time is valuable. And if time is valuable, it should be appreciated. We should appreciate opportunities that we have. There are some people who I know who have gone to be with the Lord, and I'd give everything I have to have one more chance to talk to them, you know, just to share with them, tell them I love them. Time is, is so valuable that I want to use the time that I have. I, if I love somebody, I don't want to wait until they're gone to stand up and tell everybody I loved them, and I'm not sure they knew I loved them. You know, and and to to get and again going back to the whole context of the chapter, all the worrying that you do about politics, all the striving that you do about taxes, all of the you know studying that you do about all sorts of things, just takes you away from things that matter more than that. It does, and and so he's going, you know. Don't owe anybody except to love them and realize it's time to wake up and appreciate what you have. Don't go through life in a haze. Don't go through life in a, in a stupor. Don't just let... It, it's what... And I know, like, for me, there have been times, especially after I had surgery, and I was really struggling. It was just... And it was... In my life, I've never... I've had... Tons of reasons to be depressed, but I've never really been depressed. But having that surgery, and finally, a friend of mine told me, yeah, after a major surgery, a lot of times for six months to a year, you'll struggle with depression. And any kind of physical ailments can do that to you. But it was the first time that I felt like every morning when I woke up, and I mean, I never missed work or anything like that, but every morning when I got up, I felt like it seems like I just did this. It was like, I felt like Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day. I was just like, not again. And I wasn't like thinking, I need to kill myself, or oh, poor me, or whatever. I know, I have a blessed life of a million things to be grateful for. But I got in a rut. And I, and I just got to the point where I, I just zoned out. And I did what I had to do. And I went through the motions and I didn't tell anybody, I didn't talk to anybody about how I felt or that I was struggling or whatever, because I do not, I don't do well with making other people feel sorry for me. I just, if I'm struggling, I just want you to leave me alone. And I'll be okay. You know, don't worry on my behalf, because if you worry about me, then I worry about you worrying about me, and it's a big mess. <laughs> but going through that time, the worst thing about it is, Days just went by. Time went by. A piece of my life elapsed without, you know, without me noticing beauty, 
without me devoting time to relationships that meant a lot to me, without me really enjoying my family, it was just like I was just going through the motions. And, and that's really, that kind of a stupor is what he's talking about. And a lot of people who struggle with depression can probably appreciate that and understand it. And most of you who are too busy, you know what this is about too. Because you're just, every minute you're doing what you have to do. And some of you who are moms with little kids, and kids just take so much of your life, it's like, you don't know where the time's going, but you just know you have to do this and this and this, and then the day's over, and oh, finally, I get a break for a few minutes, and then, oh man, there's the alarm, and I have to do it again. I, I know that's, that's a tough way to live, but it's also just not a healthy way to live, and it's not how God wants us to live. And so Paul calls all of us to, to do what we have to do to create the space in our lives that we can actually notice life, that we can actually notice the opportunities that we have. And it may mean that some people need to be pushed out of your life. And you may look at your life and go, I have let people rob years of my life by dumping their trips on me, by manipulating me or whatever. Well, you know what? Yeah, you've, we've all wasted a ton of our life. But we all have the same guarantee right now that we're alive right now. Most of us are still going to be alive tomorrow. Most of us have a period of time left. And, you know, unless something happens, you know, to some of us tonight or whatever, we have some time. But Paul says, it's ticking away. Stop, it, it, just because you've lived your life in a, in a haze, stop doing that. Wake up. Pay attention to the blessings that you have. Pay attention to the opportunities for relationship. Take a chance and love somebody. Yeah, you've been hurt and, you know, it cuts deeply and all that kind of, but take a chance because you only have so many opportunities to do it. He goes, wake up and appreciate the daylight. Appreciate life. Appreciate what, what it means and, and the people that mean things to you. Th this whole chapter is really about priorities. And it's a, it's a great reminder for all of us to think about what matters, to think about what's important. And don't wait until... Your options are so incredibly limited before you start to go, boy, I sure blew a lot of opportunities. No, take the opportunities now. It's high time to awake out of sleep. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know one thing, I'm a lot closer to seeing him than I was in 1971 when I became a Christian. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. So throw away the works of darkness. I don't want to waste any more of my time sinning, doing things that are unproductive and damaging and hurtful. I do not want to have another fight with one of my friends where we say things that we hurt each other. I don't want to have another fight with my wife where I, you know, one of us spends a couple days punishing the other one by not talking. I, 
the end of your life, man, you'd do anything to have those days back to, to love each other and to appreciate being together. He's going, come on, man, it's, it's daytime. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. On Sundays, we're going through in Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God. And he's got, he has the same thing in mind here. Clothe yourself. Get ready. Get dressed like you're going somewhere. Don't hang out all day in your pajamas. You know, get, get ready to live life. Grab it by the throat. Let's walk properly, he says. And, you know, the, that word for properly is a word that just means appropriately. Look at what fits and, and, and walk that way. As in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and in envy. Those are a waste of time. You know, and, he, and, he, and he's not saying that you should focus on, you need to be good. And I love this because he's listing these sins that are so destructive, and so often when we talk about lust or lewdness or things like that, you know, we like want to lay a trip on somebody, make them feel bad about something that they've already done. And it's like, oh, guy, I'm a terrible person because of what I've done. And that's not Paul's approach here, and he never comes off that way at all. But he's just, I love the fact that he's just going, is that really what you want to do with your time? Is that really the way you want to invest the precious moments that you have? Is that, is that the best you can do? And it's such a loving and gracious and helpful reminder to us. No doubt about it. We've all wasted way too much time. But he's just going, now's the time to wake up. Do what matters. Have your priorities straight. Walk in a way that's appropriate. But, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In other words, get as close to him as you can be. Live your life in him. Live your life thinking about him, talking about him, praying to him, reading his word, trying to live the kind of life that he calls us to live. Any, any time that you spend away from Jesus is time that you're going to spend wasting your life. There isn't anyone who ever lived life more fully than Jesus. I believe there isn't anyone who appreciated beauty more than Jesus. You have to know it. He made the world. He created things that are beautiful that no one else will ever see except he saw it. He designed I mean, you look at the stars and planets and things like that, it's like he put all that together in a way that really only pleased him. That for us, we look and yeah, we see a little piece of light or maybe we, maybe we never develop a telescope 
that's capable of seeing one one millionth of the beauty that he's created. But can you imagine Jesus as he's walking on the seashore at night and looking up and remembering how he made all of that, understanding how it works, talking to them about consider the lilies of the field. You ever really stop and look at one and reflect it and consider it? So often in Jesus' teaching, he would call attention to things that most people ignore. No one had more of an appreciation for children than Jesus did. You show me somebody who's irritated by children acting like children, and I'll show you somebody who's just plain living a lousy life. Because it's one of the greatest things to just see kids and and watch them develop and see their little minds at work. And they're excited. You know, we might, as adults, come walking in here tonight and go, eh, you know, the the sky is kind of wrinkled and, you know, I worked on satellites. That's a trash can. That's not a satellite. And they, you know, well, I guess they just couldn't get it cleaned up in time. I don't, I don't go to a kid's church. I go to an adult's church. And, you know, here, boy, they do all this work. Who paid for it? What tithe dollars are going for You know, and why don't they just decorate it for real and hire a professional? And that's an adult, grown-up perspective. But a little kid, like Eddie and Sally's little boy, Isaiah, he came in here and he's just like, Wow, ball, ball, ball. And he's like so excited. And and I'm looking at him and how excited he is, and I'm thinking, I haven't been that excited about anything for a long time. But who's right? I mean, I understand the work that went into this, but I've seen the real thing, and I get it. You know, and I, I mean, I guess today, space shuttle took off. You know how amazing that is? That that kind of technology has been developed? And we're like, you know, tonight Jerry asked me, hey, did you see the space shuttle take off? And my thought is, oh, if I knew it was taking off, I probably would have TiVo'd it, watched it fast, you know? It's like, what happens to our sense of wonder? What happens to amazement? But Jesus lived that way fully, and that's why he said, you guys need to become more like these kids if you're ever going to appreciate the kingdom of God, if you're ever going to enter it. Jesus lived his life to the fullest because he was perfect. He was always amazed. He was always blessed. He was always at peace. He was a, he, he, when he was a kid, He amazed the theologians with what he had knew already. And it wasn't just because he was God. It was because he was a great student even at that age, Luke 2.52. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Jesus didn't just automatically know everything. It's just that he took every opportunity he had to live life to its fullest. And at the end of his life, he felt the sense of accomplishment and he said, Father, everything that you've given me to do, I've done it. Are you going to feel that way at the end of your life? He was 33 years old when he had done it all, when he had finished 
that which he set out to do. And his, the life that was in that man. And he was the true light that lights everyone who comes into the world. He was the word. He, he was logic itself. He, everything interested him. He, the one thing that Jesus didn't know that we live with constantly is boredom. He was never bored. He always had something to do, something to appreciate, something to thank the Father for. We go through life like, I, I'm just going to be glad when this is over. And Paul is just going, stop. Appreciate. The reason that we waste so much of our time doing things that don't matter is because we don't appreciate the things that do matter. We don't see how important love is, for instance. We don't see how limited time is, for instance. And if we did, we would never waste one moment of our life worrying about the political scene, stressing over what's going to happen to the economy. Hey, you guys, we have more important things to do to appreciate, to respect, to be thankful for, to enjoy. Our time is limited. And those sins that, you know, eat you away and, and rot your life and, and cause you to be trapped, they're such an amazing lie. You know, to waste your time hurting others, to waste your time with self-indulgent, garbage that you look at and the way of movies are on the internet and things like that Paul's not going oh that's you're disgusting God and he's so disappointed in you the reason that God's disappointed is because he's just he has so much better for you than that he, want, he doesn't want you to miss anything sometimes you know going to Israel is an amazing opportunity I always feel so bad when sometimes there's somebody who's sick and they have to miss a day or two days of the tour. And if they've been before, maybe it's not as big of a deal, but I just think there's nothing there that I want to miss. We cram so much into the time that's there. Well, life is that way. And, there's, and God just doesn't want you to miss anything. And time that you throw away or days that you spend in a haze or feeling you know, sorry for yourself or immersed in depression or whatever, man, you're missing opportunities. And that's, what, and that's what Paul's saying. Craft for yourself the kind of life that gets everything that you're supposed to get out of life. Start living life differently. The time is short. Time is limited. The opportunities are vast. Live like you really do have blessings endlessly that God wants to pour out on you. And find those. And find them in the simpler things. Find them in the beauty that's around us. Make, put some space into your life. And that's really why I had them decorate this whole thing. <laughs> Create enough space so that you can live your life. Wake up. That's what Paul's saying here. Let's pray. Lord, we're children of light, and 
A lot of times we don't live that way. We carry ourselves with a cloud of doom hanging over our heads. We waste our time in endless, fruitless activity. We fight with people that we really love. We don't take opportunities to show genuine appreciation. We're slaves to obligation. We let negative people control our lives and like own us and make us feel like we're obligated to them. Teach us to be free. Teach us to owe no man anything except love. Reduce us to love. Help that to be the guiding principle of our lives as we fulfill the law by just caring and appreciating. Wake us up if we've been groggy and show us the incredible opportunities, the amazing beauty that surrounds us. As, as David said at the end of the 23rd Psalm, Surely, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life, and it's true. And we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are blessed. Thank you. Thanks for this evening, the chance to spend time together in your word. Now, Lord, for the rest of our weeks, I pray that something in your word will jog in our heads something that's going to make the rest of this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, different than it would have been. Help each of us to at least find something beautiful to notice, someone valuable to love, some way of escape to stop wasting the opportunities that we have. Change us in a way that it just feels so natural that we just think it just happened. But we'll know what it is. It's your word as your spirit applies it to our lives and helps us to wake up. Thanks for being gentle with us. But keep it up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.